Hello and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 130 and today's episode, Nutrition and Children's Wellbeing, I am talking to our go-to expert on nutrition, Lucinda Miller, nutritional therapist and founder of Nature Doc. We hear so much now about the importance of food and nutrition, not only for our children's physical health, but also for their emotional health too. So I asked Lucinda her top tips and to explain why gut health is as important for our children as it is for us as adults. You really genuinely are in for a treat. Lucinda is all about practical, easy ways to implement these top tips and ideas which we can all do. Now the give this week will give you the link directly to Lucinda's blog filled, I mean literally packed with lots of really helpful information and tips about all things nutrition and children's well-being as well as her website. So as usual all you need to do is head over to the free resource library drmaryhand.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you enjoy this episode, I would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time, here's Lucinda. I am delighted to welcome back. Um, I think I should just call you our resident expert on all things nutrition, which is the wonderful Lucinda Miller. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, Marianne, it's so lovely to be back. We've done so many lovely workshops together in the in the past, and it's just great to be on one of your podcasts again. Amazing. Well, you are my go-to when it comes to giving any advice when it comes to nutrition. I always will sort of signpost people. And I thought it would be a really really good exercise to have a conversation with you about secondary school children. So our tweens and our teens in terms of food. So can I kick off by asking you, we hear a lot in the space, certainly in the adult space about gut and how important our gut health is. Is it as important for our teens and our tweens? And if so, why? Okie dokes. So, um, just in case someone hasn't heard of gut health and why it's so important, it's basically inside our bellies, we've got billions and billions of bacteria. And we thought, oh, is that a bit icky? We shouldn't have that, should we? But actually, these bacteria can be beneficial. And these bacteria play a lot of roles in human health. So they help to build a strong immune system. They help to build something called neurotransmitters, which are brain hormones, which help with teenage and tweenage mental health. Um, They help to make B vitamins. Um, They help to dial down something called inflammation, which can cause um, exacerbations of things like eczema and asthma and so forth. So it's really, really important to get really good gut health. And gut health can be nourished through a really healthy diet. So these are things like eating lots of fruits and vegetables nuts, seeds, um, but also things like pulses, but also herbs and spices and things like olive oil and even dark chocolate. So there are lots of really great healthy foods that most people associate with being very nutrient dense. So the ones they think, oh, they're full of iron, they're full of zinc, they're full of vitamins, you know, rather than say the white pasta, which is probably carbohydrate without the extra nutrients. And these all can help to nourish that gut microbiome, which is this 
ecosystem of bacteria in the gut. Um, And they all play a role in sort of enhancing that. Um, And this is something that's been researched for over 100 years, um, but has become really, really big in the last sort of 15 years in terms of research. So I think in 2019, I don't know the current numbers, but 2019, there was something like 16,000 papers published on the gut microbiome and how it can influence things like skin health, mood, sleep, immunity, you know, um, neurodiversity, I mean, the full Monty. So it really does matter what's going in your gut. And if you think logically, you're feeding your gut at least three times a day, and teens and tweens are probably snacking all day too. So they're probably feeding their gut a lot during the day. These are all opportunities to nourish that gut microbiome. There are things that can reduce that diversity of the gut microbiome so it doesn't do such a good job. And these are things like antibiotics and some medications like um, antiacids, sort of um, things like omeprazole, etc. So if a child's been on lots of rounds of antibiotics, maybe they get lots of ear infections or tonsillitis or chest infections or whatever, then um, they may have a more depleted gut microbiome. And this may mean that they are less likely to be building this good immune system. So they might be more susceptible to more infections because they haven't got this immune system in their gut. Um, It can also mean that um, they might become more moody, they might become more down. Very often there could be some rise of anxiety if the gut microbiome is not nourished that well. Um, And equally, you know, with teenagers, they're obsessed with their skin and the things like eczema and acne can get much worse. Thank you for sharing that, Lucinda. That that really clarifies that sort of whole thing around the gut microbiome. But as a parent... How would I know? What are the first early warning signs that might that I could pick up on that would tell me that my child or my teen or tween's gut microbiome is out of whack? Well, first of all, you probably look for more obvious gut issues before you'd look at the greater picture. So um, it would be things like bad breath, even if they brush their teeth quite well. It could be some reflux, so the food is regurgitated or they're just complaining of of food feeling very uncomfortable in their tummy. There could be some more significant gut pain. There could be rushing to the loo too quickly, so a bit of loose spell, or more frequently we see constipation. Um, and I think people think that constipation has to be if it's if you're in serious pain or if you're maybe only going maybe once a week or something. Um, but actually going every day is actually quite important um, and obviously producing a relatively good quality um, brown sausage each day. So if it's splatty, if it's more yellow, um, you know, etc., then or, or incredibly rock hard like conkers, then there may be something going on. Now, I appreciate by the time a child gets to secondary school age, you're probably not seeing what's going into the lavatory. However, um, you can sometimes pick up on smell. So if you go in and it's absolutely stinky, you'll probably think something's a bit more going on than if you didn't notice that they'd gone or not. And equally, um, you may not necessarily have to know about the poo. Sometimes you can see in their tummy whether they get very bloated over the day. So I would say that most teens and tweens will wake up with a relatively flat belly. 
And then by the end of the day, obviously, we all naturally, our tummies get a little bit bigger over the day, but it's when it becomes incredibly bloated. So it looks a bit more like a balloon um, and there's a lot of gas. So there's a lot of whiff, whiffy farts going around. Then again, you'd know that the gut was a bit out of sync. I think you'd also think, what about if they've just been on antibiotics? Um, I don't know. They often look um, like they've got a little bit of a white tongue. It almost looks like a bit of thrush on the tongue or there could be thrush down below. Um, and so sometimes that's quite a good indicator if things are slightly out of whack. But generally, I'd say it's more you're going to notice the gut more than anything else. The other things are slightly more what I would call chronic, as in they develop over time. So it's very just occasionally some will say, you know what, whenever they get a virus, their eczema really flares or, um, you know, whenever they're constipated, they're acne gets worse or whatever that might be so they notice the differences um, sometimes people will notice parents will notice a child's behavior might change having eaten different foods but um, generally you're not going to see that gut microbiome manifest straight away it's all about building up so it takes time to build these neurotransmitters so for instance to just give an example most people have heard of a bug a bacteria called lactobacillus it's in most yogurts, it's in most kefirs, which are cousins of yogurt. It's the sort of more kind of abundant bacterial form of yogurt that people can buy in supermarkets now very easily. And that lactobacillus helps to digest milk. So very often kids that can't digest milk, in fact, have low lactobacillus. And once you get the probiotics in, then guess what? They're able to digest dairy and then they can eat more and therefore they tolerate more and therefore it re it builds the microbiome, which is great. But lactobacillus is a really key one. It's super important for the immune system. So if your child is always getting colds and coughs, COVID's going around, you know, they're always off school with illness, then you may want to think about boosting them up with some lactobacillus. As I said, it also dials down inflammation. So people would say, yes, the acne's worse, the eczema's worse, the asthma's worse. Uh, their mood swings are worse and again that can be linked with something called inflammation chronic inflammation and again that can help with that but the main things with lactobacillus which are so important I think personally because I'm always thinking about child mental health and child performance at school and so forth is that lactobacillus plays a role in making two very important neurotransmitters which are these brain hormones that really turn on learning memory etc and one of them is super important it's called it's basically the lactobacillus builds these in the gut and then they kind of filtrate up to the brain to do their good stuff. And so lactobacillus helps to make acetylcholine. Acetylcholine is a key neurotransmitter that helps with the following. Memory, learning, so things like working memory, processing, something called executive function, so organisation skills essentially, but also it helps with self-regulation and emotional regulation. So we see an awful lot of kids who are very kind of, you know, they've got some dyslexia, some dyspraxia, some ADHD, maybe some autism, uh, but maybe not just that. They're just a bit scatty um, and they find it very difficult to focus, etc. And it may be that they're low in this this important bacteria called lactobacillus. And it makes another neurotransmitter, another brain hormone called GABA, G-A-B-A. And GABA is our sort of cool calming neurotransmitters it's that feeling having had a nice cup of tea having had a yoga practice maybe had a meditation or done some you know had a massage or whatever it's that om sort of feeling afterwards it's that calm feeling and we're always seeking that now 
teenagers, because their brains are still developing, find it very difficult to get enough GABA. And when you don't have enough GABA, you find it very hard to sleep, you can become very anxious, and you can be a big risk taker. And it's one of those big things that, these are the, some of the big things that parents tear their hair out during the teenage years, is because their kids are all over the shop. Um, and basically, these neurotransmitters are so important for regulating that. So I'm not saying they'll do, you know, they'll tick every single box and suddenly they'll be sort of perfect Peter having been Horrid Henry <laughs> prior to that. Um, but they will, it will help over time. So obviously building in foods such as yogurt and kefir and fermented foods. So it could be miso soup, it could be some soy sauce, it could be some apple cider vinegar into foods, as well as, you know, more sort of, you can get things like kombuchas and things like that, which are great and sauerkrauts, but I find that they're not necessarily a child's best friend straight away. They don't, you know, they're not particularly drawn to them. Some love kimchi. If they've been to Wagamama's, they often will like kimchi. They go, oh yeah, I get that one. I like that one. So uh, over time, you can build that lactobacillus in. If they've had antibiotics, then, or quite regularly anyway, then, or just, you know, you feel that they've dipped since being on antibiotics, then I would give them sort of live bacteria supplement like a probiotic um, that contains lactobacillus just to give them a bit of a boost up. Because sometimes, you know, we all know teenagers particularly are very selective with their food and therefore they find it difficult to um, be able to eat those foods regularly. You know, often they leave this, leave home in the morning before going to school without eating anything. Um, then, you know, they'll have a rubbish lunch of pizza and biscuits and then, you know, they'll be starving when they come home and again, you know, raid the cupboard and, you, you know, you'll get one good meal in them if you're lucky. So um, I totally know that sometimes, you know, supplements are are more helpful actually than, than to try and push them to be having these foods they may not even like very much, for instance. But this is just an example of where the gut microbiome is so important. And research is emerging all the time in terms of links, as I said, with, with, with the teenage brain and things like risk-taking behaviours and mood and, you know, things like, you know, depression, low mood, sort of suicidal ideation, self-harm, all those big things, as well as just helping your kids just to tick along and be happy and well and, and thrive and do better with their homework and schoolwork and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so important. As you say, there's so much research that's being done and so much coming out that is reinforcing how crucial it is to so many aspects. And of course, teens and their brains are developing anyway. We know that they don't, our brains don't fully mature until sort of 23, 24. And they naturally are going to be more impulsive, they'll take more risks. So it, it I sort of get a feeling, Lucinda, that what we should be doing is almost assuming that their gut health is never optimal and really working on that assumption by by kind of encouraging us you know, to kind of introduce those foods where we can and if not, then use it through supplements. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Obviously, food first if possible. So, you know, lots of different fruits and vegetables. So you, a lot of people heard the saying, eat the rainbow, and they're not quite sure why. And the reason for eating the rainbow or eating your five a day or seven a day or 10 a day or whatever you're aiming towards is because all those different fruits and vegetables have different colours, different pigments. So, for instance, a range of berries will have purples and reds and pinks and so forth. And all of those will have slightly different what they call polyphenols. And those polyphenols help to feed the gut microbiome. So if your child will only eat carrots 
get the heritage carrots you can get purple ones yellow ones orange ones and they taste the same you can make a joke out of it they're still carrots but they're getting more benefit for their gut microbiome than just having the orange ones on their own and the same with peppers you know red yellow orange green so you know you can and so it's quite good to to sort of shape things up a bit and try and get different fruits in each week so rather than getting bananas every week try and get peaches one week or blueberries the next week or whatever and try and you know change things around that's why smoothies can be so helpful because you can get lots of different ones all all together smushed up so they do they're a bit suspicious of something new then they might prefer it in smushed up in a smoothie rather than seeing it whole going heck how the heck am I going to have that yeah, no, that's really good. And actually, goodness knows the amount of stuff that I managed to kind of um, blitz into my children's food as they were growing up. Uh, they've, they're have they only just finding out what I used to give them. Can I ask you, Cinder, because you touched upon something that I think will really resonate with a lot of parents listening to this. And it is the challenge around breakfast. Should we just let go of it? Should we not be worrying about our teeth? So many children start school with no breakfast and often complain that they can't stomach you just don't want anything is it something that we should just let go of or are there some top tips that we can get some nutrients inside them so as adults it's very easy to have breakfast later we have a lot of time we have more flexibility over when we do eat the trouble is the school day is very structured um, and very often well at secondary school it's slightly different often they do bring in their own snacks but you know it, there's less opportunity to eat during the morning when you're ready to and so and you do most of your academic work in the morning so actually fueling that brain first thing in the morning makes a lot of sense I do appreciate there are kids whose guts do not wake up till a little bit later in the morning and there's sort of two angles you can take to this one is to send them off maybe with a smoothie with some protein powder or something so it's really packed with nutrition or just something simple like a sandwich you know with ham and cheese or egg and cress or you know tuna and cucumber or whatever it might be so they've actually got something decent half decent to eat at break time rather than just some sort of ultra processed little snack and think well that's their breakfast time it'll be 10 20 or whenever they have their break um and so that can really work um for some who just aren't quite ready to eat so early in the morning I often if especially lots of secondary school kids are leaving very early in the morning to go to school they've got a very long maybe an hour long bus journey to get to school and so that's again where you pack them with a sort of almost like a lunchbox but a little bit more of a grown-up lunchbox but you know like a snack box that they can have so they can eat late a little bit later on when they're a bit bored on the bus so actually it's quite a good time for them to graze so you can put some good things in there but what is important to think about especially say the kids who don't really have a very good lunch either because school lunch is pretty awful or there's only a corner shop or you know what I mean it's just that just or they're very busy over lunchtime because they're very sporty and doing extra stuff is if they don't have breakfast and they're not having lunch what are they going to do when they get back from school they're just going to be a mess they're going to be completely and utterly empty and they're going to be moody and difficult and unfocused and also as i said raid all the rubbish straight out of your your store cupboard rather than to eat something decent because that when you are that low and your blood sugars it's literally you're looking for that high cal big you know hit sugar hit quickly to make you feel a bit better so to work out why they may not be hungry in the morning and one of my biggest tips in terms of sort of nutrition and supplements etc is an important mineral called zinc now zinc 
is you get in lots of different foods. It's in dairy, it's in meat, it's in shellfish, it's in nuts and seeds, etc. But they're often not the foods that kids will eat three times a day. They might eat once a day, maybe at a main meal, but not that much. And you need an awful lot of zinc for the teenage brain. So basically, when you're going through puberty, you use up a lot of zinc to grow from being a young girl into a woman and a young boy into a man. And so all of those processes eat up a lot of zinc and your body will steal them to do that over and above other things like healing your skin so the acne gets worse or fueling your appetite. So you can feel quite nauseous in the morning. So the kids that feel really nauseous in the morning are often very low in zinc. Now what's really interesting is zinc is helps you grow. So often kids that are a bit slow at going through puberty, so especially the boys. So girls often a bit faster, but boys are getting a bit slower, but later. And often they're looking like the little boy. They just feel small. They feel like they'll never, ever grow up. And often it's because of a lack of zinc. Also, zinc is super important for fueling your taste buds. So it's things that like sense of smell and taste. It revs up all your gastric juices, so it makes you hungry. And a lot of very selective eaters, so a lot of teenagers become highly selective eaters. So sometimes there's a moralistic side of things, you know, it's like, I don't want to harm animals, so I'm going to cut out meat or or dairy or whatever. That's what they've read, that's what other people are doing. However, those are the zinc-rich foods. So what happens is then they get less, and so then their skin gets worse, their mood goes down their performance goes down at school because zinc is really important for the brain. And so there's a sort of, you know, this this sort of chicken and egg situation where it's just, they spiral down and down and down. And it can lead to disordered eating and sort of narrow eating because, you know, they just are not interested in food anymore because, of course, their sense of smell and taste is very narrow. Zinc is the second most abundant mineral in your nervous system. So without enough zinc, you can become very dysregulated. So it's very important for things like working memory, processing, emotional regulation. It it helps to stimulate the same parts of the brain that this acetylcholine does. So it's very, very key to get right. And I just have found that unless you're a family that really, really focuses on eating lots of really good quality red meat, lots of eggs, lots of fish, lots of nuts and seeds, really focuses on those nutrient-dense foods, then your child will probably be more susceptible to being low in zinc. And this is where sometimes what I'm going to call a car crash happens, as in, you know, there's a sort of category of events that can occur with a with a child that's not getting enough zinc. So I do think it's probably one of the most important nutrients to supplement as a teen is growing, especially going through puberty. And if it's a teenager who's going through puberty early, maybe it's a girl who's starting their periods a little bit early, like 9, 10, 11, rather than 13, 14, then they may need the zinc earlier. Um, And so that's sort of such an important one. And also any child who's on ADHD medication, because, you know, there are an awful lot now these days, again, that can suppress the appetite. So they're eating less during the day. And again, zinc can help to ameliorate those side effects of the medication. So it's sort of super duper. So I just think that's a key message to get across to parents who are a little bit worried. Well, one of the biggest problems they have with the teenagers these days is actually not eating enough or eating too much junk and not enough nutritious food oh my god that's 
uh, that's unbelievable. I had no idea. And that's such an easy thing to try and implement with the zinc. And I'm guessing, Lucinda, if we suspect that our child is like that, both of my children were never massive fans of breakfast, but they were good at, they. I would always send them off with something, but they were never really, really big fans of it. But I'm guessing as a parent, if you suspect that it could be now that you've armed with that knowledge of zinc, you could do a bit of a test. So try them on zinc for a few weeks, see what that does. If that brings their appetite back and they're able to tolerate something in the morning, then it probably is because they're zinc deficient and then you can kind of keep supplementing. Yeah. So I think what you can do is you can think about supplementing throughout the teen. I would definitely supplement for three or four months to begin with and just see if there's a difference in them because then you'll know whether it's helping or not, particularly if the child has any kind of neurodivergent skew. So there's been really masses of research on kids with dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD and autism, sensory processing, that they often are quite low in zinc as a baseline anyway. They're often kids that have these, what is known as comorbidities, which means that what goes alongside are things like immune issues, allergies, eczema, asthma, gut issues, etc. So, and often a very narrow diet, since, you know, because of their sensory side of things, and often zinc can really help to stabilize that. But obviously this is for all, this is a message for all parents, is lots of kids are doing really well but one thing they can look for if they want to think is my child does my child need zinc and this happened to all three of my children so um you know and it was my barometer to have an understanding of what to look out for and there were two things to look for the first thing was when they were a little bit younger than secondary school but it's still I think it's really important here is that when you're low in zinc and sometimes when you're low in something called iron which is another key mineral is kids tend to chew on their collars or on their hoodies, and you know, they tend to chew on their food or tend to put lots of things that are non-food items in their mouth. This is known as PICA, P-I-C-A, and it can indicate a need for zinc and iron. So if they've got soggy, holy t-shirts and hoodies all the time and collars and cuffs all soggy, then that might be an indicator that they need more zinc and maybe some more iron. Um, so that's quite a good one. And I just, it happened every time I literally put the zinc and iron in for like three or four days and it would all stop each time. I was like, no, that could not happen. And it just did. And no more soggy t-shirts. And the second thing is um, fingernails. This is not just a zinc sign. It can mean low minerals generally, like low magnesium, low calcium, but zinc is a big one, especially when it's going through puberty, is you see lots of white flecks or speckles on the nails. And it uh, most people will have one, maybe two on, on, on you know, on one or one or say two of their 10 fingernails but actually when there's more than that um, then you know that that is a thing for them so it's something to spot it doesn't happen with every child and sometimes it's purely that sort of you know lack of appetite in the morning and quite an, and a diet that's narrowing and them not growing too well um, is 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 a bit is a big indicator or very sort of emotionally labile very sort of all over the shop is another a key one but I would say in terms of actually practically observing them because sometimes it's it's easier just to watch them and go, oh, look at your, you know, look at the nails because you can see them whilst they're eating or, you know, look at their chewed collars. And that will give you an idea of where they they just need topping up. And sometimes it's topping up just for a week or two. And then and it's often when they have just had a cold. So their immune system's low because zinc is stolen is, is used up a lot when you have you've got an infection. So zinc's one of the key ones for viruses, for instance, um, or they're just having a growth spurt. 
or they're just doing a lot more. They're very sporty or whatever. Thank you, Lucinda. That's so helpful. And actually, I love those kind of early warning signs, of, you know, in terms of sucking on collars and other things. It's just, and the neck, fingernails. It's such an easy way to spot. You touched earlier on about snacks. And we know there's been a lot being talked about about ultra processed foods. Teens seem to be, in my experience, personal experience with my own children, drawn to all of the stuff that we spend so much of our time and effort trying for them to avoid. They seem to be drawn to that. And particularly when we're looking at tweens and teens that are then getting buses, who've then got a bit of cash, who are then buying their own lunches, or at least have got access to shops to buy things. How do we encourage them to make better choices without being that lectury parent? I think it's really hard to get it right. Um, And what I try and do is to say every meal and snack they're having at home, make it a real winner, make it really, really great. You know, so a really fantastic breakfast, maybe some eggs, maybe some porridge with lots of peanut butter and seeds and berries or, you know, overnight oats with yogurt and apple and nuts and seeds and so forth. So trying to pack in a really good breakfast that they're going to love. And then again, supper, make sure that that's fantastic. There's lots of vegetables, lots of lovely fish, maybe some meat. If you're vegetarian, lots of lovely pulses and beans and so forth. So make every single meal at home incredibly nutritious send them off with as many good quality snacks as possible and that could be some you know berries um, some seeds um, maybe some you know cottage cheese or some cheddar cheese you know just bits and pieces that they can have throughout the day or so we're talking about earlier a smoothie so try and get as much as you can control in. Again, send them off with a full water bottle so that they've actually got something to drink. Because if they're thirsty, they'll go and buy a can of Coke rather than drink their water. But if they've got water that's free, they'll drink that first. So it's all about sort of looking for the pinch points during the day and thinking when might they want to have those UPF snacks. So is it that, um, you know, are they coming home on the bus and there's a corner shop on the way before they get to the bus? Is everyone going there? Have they got enough money? Um, So that might be the time where you think, yep, that's the only time I can't control, but I can control what goes in their bag. Or, you know, actually I'm picking them up to take them to football after school. So actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I've got a big bag of food so they don't need to go to the shop. But you've got to be quite relaxed. And I think the most important message that every parent needs to understand is children will remember the habits that you put in at home and not what is influenced by their friends or their friends' families or when they're out and about. So they will have a very emotional tie with, say, your homemade shepherd's pie. They will love it forever. When they're at uni, they'll be calling you saying, how do you make that shepherd's pie, mum? Because that will make them feel at home and safe. So foods that you cook from scratch at home where they smell the lovely food that you're cooking and they're enjoying it together and they've got that lovely feel of family being together will make a much more emotional attachment to that food than if they're with a mate and they grab a can of Coke and a packet of Quavers on the way back from school. They'll remember the conversation, but they won't actually remember what they've eaten. So it's all about paving the way for habits in the future. So yes, you want to help their behaviour and their mood and things now. And that's where positive nutrition can make a huge impact in terms of things like, as I said, breakfast, snacks that you make at home. 
is really important too and all those sorts of things but I know that that's not always going to be 100% of the picture but what's really interesting and it may just be my children we're real foodies we've always talked about food at home but the two big ones have both chosen to self-cater at uni both gone with my cookbook the good stuff they've both you know they, they, they and their friends talk about food quite a lot they enjoy cooking for each other they you know what I mean they've actually really got a buzz out of it and you know they've learned a lot from YouTube as well on cooking as well but you know it's not necessarily all about healthy eating it's about eat cooking from scratch is key and I think it's creating that culture at home of food is special and food is nourishing as um, rather than putting so I have as far as I'm aware have never said oh naughty cake Ooh, how naughty we're having cake. I've just said, oh, fantastic. We're having cake. We just had a lovely walk. Let's sit down together with a cup of tea and really enjoy this cake together. It looks so good. It's got walnuts, it's got coffee in it, or whatever, you know, and talk about it and create that culture of positivity around food. And, you know, taking them off when they do have time with you to maybe local markets, food markets or farm shops, or just you know, finding lots of recipe books and saying, look, okay, you're fed up with my cooking. What do you want to cook? And I do think actually some of these box schemes are quite good, you know, like whether it's, you know, Gusto or HelloFresh or whatever, Mindful Chef. I think they're all quite good because they're introducing new ingredients to families and the teams are quite engaged. And sometimes, oh, I can do that. It's giving me the instructions. I know what to do and everything's sort of ready for them to do. So it's not a big hassle. So that is another entryway into getting them into really enjoying the foods that they're eating. So I think don't sweat how many snacks they're having but if you can get obviously lunch is going to be a hard one but basically if you can get a good breakfast and a good dinner and each day that is going to be two-thirds of the nutrition they need in the day and everything else is sort of a bonus as such and at the weekends you may be in control of all three meals and even better and then at the weekends do some baking together you know they I mean I think every teenager just well most teenagers absolutely love to bake muffins and things and so if you've got some fun recipes you know with a bit of grated courgette or some nuts and seeds or whatever it is in there they'll get engaged in the process and really enjoy the outcome and the great thing is with these snacks is you can freeze them so there's always ones that you can pull out first thing in the morning, put in a lunchbox or a snack box, and they'll defrost within 20 minutes maximum. So, you know, they're there ready for the child to eat on the way to school or at school or after school, depending on how independent they are. So it can be done. It's a little bit more effort. But if you can get them to be involved and engaged, too, I think that's really key. Yeah, and I would say 100% second everything that you said there, Lucinda. You know, my children were supremely guilty of eating all sorts of rubbish in their teen years, but they both went to university and they would both message me to ask for specific recipes of things that we made at home and specific recipe books, which I had to take photographs of. So I think, you know, if we focus on the wins that we can make rather than get too caught up in the the rubbish that they're eating when they're not with us and really trying to kind of make those as good as we can possibly make them and get them involved because they just, they want to be involved. They want to be sort of deciding what recipes they want to eat and and all of those lovely things. One final question, Lucinda, and this is very much around knowing full well that families are supremely busy 
And there is always a huge amount of guilt as a parent if you, you know, feeling that you're not always doing the right things for your child. So we know how important food is. As a busy parent, what three quick wins can you give me in terms of easy food that won't take up a huge amount of my time that I know that my children are going to, that is going to give them some good stuff on those days where I'm literally walking in and I've only got 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour before I've got food to present on the table. So if you've had a child that you've had to prepare a packed lunch for anyway, um, then it's a good time to prepare breakfast at that point. So think ahead. So something like an overnight oats or just put things out. So either in the fridge or on the side, depending on, you know, if they need to stay fresh or whatever, um, so that they're ready for the morning. So that's one thing. So overnight oats, for instance, you put oats and some apple juice and some yogurt and, you know, and lots of different, you know, all sorts of things in there and maybe a little bit of sweetener in the morning, a bit of maple syrup or honey just to bring it together. Um, And that can be super easy and you could heat them up a little bit if it's the winter. So that would be my first win is to prepare the night before as much as possible. And even if, as I said, it's just putting it out so it's ready to go. So you're not faffing going, oh, I can't find the eggs or I can't find the milk or whatever. It's it's all just sort of sitting at eye height in the fridge, for instance, so that you just pull them out and go. The second thing is to, you know, do rely on things like fresh fruit, do rely on frozen vegetables. It's okay to have those. So frozen fruit and frozen berries are good too. And I think a smoothie is a real winner because you can put a lot in there and it's just practicing a little bit maybe at the weekends just get sort of consistency and so forth and getting ones that they like but you can get some quite good smoothie packs now from supermarkets with most of the things in and you can just add a couple of extra bits and pieces like maybe some protein powder or something to there or some yogurt so I think smoothies are a really really good win too and then I would say you know always batch cook as much as possible so I will always try and get the sort of you know the deal say you know if I'm buying beef mince for bolognese um, or lamb mince for say shepherd's pie I'll buy you know two or three because there's a deal on and then I'll make you know three four five shepherd's pies or bolognese's and just have masses in the freezer so it's okay to kind of have some of your main meals on repeat and always have something there because you know you can just pop it out the night before and it will defrost overnight and then you know it's there for you the next evening when you get back from work so I'd say that's you know it's prepare breakfast the night before think about smoothies to sort of supercharge and sort of as a quick blitz and then the third thing is to batch cook as much as possible oh Lucinda those are some really genuinely easy things that we can all kind of implement and put in place and as always you have been phenomenal so much good stuff and so much information and we will be sharing the link directly to Lucinda and also her blog and also her shop as well as her incredible books I have got both cookbooks they are fantastic and we have they're sort of they've got to that point Lucinda sorry where they've ended up being smudged in places where things have been cooked and then accidentally have spilled over onto the pages but thank you so much again for all of your incredible knowledge which you've shared Um, and hopefully we'll have you back on again really soon it's been lovely to catch up with you Marianne again and take care and we'll see each other hopefully in the flesh soon One Million Moments all about. We know prevention is better than cure. 
Children who feel connected, heard and understood are less likely to struggle with their mental health. One Million Moments is all about seizing opportunities to connect with children moment by moment, day by day. Head over to our website, onemillionmoments.org. That's O-N-E millionmoments.org. And join the initiative, join the campaign and help us positively impact one million lives. Thank you.